And for our scripture reading, we'll turn again to Second Chronicles and then chapter, chapter 35, as we continue in the story of King Josiah. We'll read the first 19 verses of this chapter. Second Chronicles chapter 35, beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> now Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the fourteenth day of the first month. And he set the priests in their duties and encouraged them for the service of the house of the Lord. And then he said to the Levites who taught all Israel, who were holy to the Lord, and put the holy ark in the house which Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. It, sh <clears throat> it shall no longer be a burden on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people. Prepare yourselves according to your father's houses, according to your divisions, following the written instruction of David, king of Israel, and the written instruction of Solomon, his son. And stand in the holy place according to the divisions of the fathers' houses of your brethren, the lay people, and according to the division of the fathers' house of the Levites. And so slaughter the Passover offerings, consecrate yourselves, and prepare them for your brethren that they may do according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Then Josiah gave the lay people lambs and young goats from the flock, all for Passover offerings, for all who were present, to the number of 30,000, as well as 3,000 cattle. These were from the king's possessions. And his leaders gave willingly to the people, and to the priests, and to the Levites, Hilkiah, Zechariah, and Jehiel, rulers of the house of God, gave to the priests for the Passover offerings 2,600 from the flock and 300 cattle. Also Conaniah, his brothers, Shemaiah, and Nathaniel, and Hashabiah, and Jehiel, and Josabad, chief of the Levites, gave to the Levites for Passover offerings 5,000 from the flock and 500 cattle. So the service was prepared, and the priests stood in their places, and the Levites in their divisions, according to the king's command. And they slaughtered the Passover offerings, and the priests sprinkled the blood with their hands, while the Levites skinned the animals. And then they removed the burnt offerings that they might give them to the divisions of the fathers' houses of the lay people, to offer to the Lord as it is written in the book of Moses, so and so they did with the cattle. Also they roasted the Passover offerings with fire, according to the ordinance, but the other holy offerings they boiled in pots, in cauldrons, and in pans, and divided them quickly among all the lay people. Then afterward they prepared portions for themselves and for the priests, because the priests, the sons of Aaron, were busy in offering burnt offerings and fat until night. 
Therefore the Levites prepared portions for themselves and for the priests, the sons of Aaron. And the singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their places according to the command of David, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, the king's seer. Also the gatekeepers were at each gate. They did not have to leave their position because their brethren, the Levites, prepared portions for them. So all the service of the Lord was prepared the same day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. And the children of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. There had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet, And none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah kept with the priests and the Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. This far the reading of God's holy word. Dear congregation, we read here these last verses that there had been no Passover kept in Israel like this since the days of Samuel. And there's no king in the history that had celebrated the Passover as it was done here. You've heard the saying before that you see the stars shining in the dark sky. You see the stars shining best when, when the night is the darkest. There's such a contrast between the bright stars and and the darkness of the night. And here it was, and this Passover really came after many years of of ups and downs in the country, and you could say in in a time of spiritual darkness. And when when Josiah heard the law read, as we uh, considered last week, he also realized that they had not kept the Passover They had not kept the Passover as the Lord had commanded them to in Exodus chapter 12. This feast was instituted to remember God's great deliverance out of Egypt. When He delivered His people out of slavery, and when He delivered them from the judgment that fell upon the Egyptians. And so it showed how God, out of His own good pleasure, had chosen a people and chosen a way, given a way to redeem them and to save them. And so the Lord's Supper also is a feast to remind us of God's goodness, God's good pleasure, and shows us how out of His grace He provides a way to save His people. And so our theme for this morning is Josiah's great Passover. Josiah's great Passover. In verse 1, we read, Now Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. And he kept this Passover not only because he heard that it had been commanded of God, God not only commanded it, but Josiah, you can see there's also a motivation, a desire, a delight to worship God. And knowing 
and realizing the mercy of grace of God motivates us to serve Him and to worship Him. And so we see in the first place that this great Passover was characterized by a great returning to God. A great return to God. At the end of chapter 34, we read of how the people had shown their renewed commitment to the Lord. They stood in agreement with the Word of God as they heard it read, as it was explained to them. They, they purged the land. They cleansed their lives of idols. Josiah made them all worship God diligently. And it seems that they really meant it. It says all the days of, of his life, they, they did not depart from it. And so there was a renewed desire to serve the God of Israel. And often we do not realize how subtly and how quickly we can drift away from walking with the Lord. Israel lived in almost utter neglect of God and His his service and His feasts. You might ask, well, how did they get there? Well, how do we drift away from God? And yet still we see the Lord in His time. He draws His people back by reminding them of who He is for them. And we can see when they returned, or how, you might say, they returned. God drove them back to Himself through that repentance and that faith, through His Word and by His Spirit. There was a renewed desire to serve the living God because there was a sense of, of the need of his, for His grace and for His mercy. There was a sense of His love that He had toward them even though they had strayed so far from Him. And so they were drawn back to Him. And it is when we catch a sight and a glimpse of the, the holiness of God, the justice of God, His righteous demands upon us in His law, that, that though it might cause us to fear, yet we're also reminded of that great mercy of God who says, come unto me, and who, who draws them to Himself. And then, and then we can see as, as they were shown in the Passover that God had, had made a way for that to be possible, a way for them to be drawn to God through Christ and through the Passover lamb as they saw it. And so this, there was a turning away from their sin in repentance and at the same time a returning to God for His, His mercy. And when we return to God for His mercy, it's not only for His mercy, but it's because of His mercy. And when we acknowledge that we deserve His condemnation as Josiah saw it coming on the land, and what we deserve for our sin as we see it in His Word, and then we come not only for mercy, but because of mercy, knowing that God is a loving and kind and tender, and He draws us back to Himself in this way, because with Him there is peace. With Him there is pardon. With Him there is life and joy. And this is what melts the heart towards God, instead of hardening our hearts against God. And so the Passover remembered that great power and the great grace of God in delivering them, bringing them out of Egypt and freeing them. And so every time we come to the Lord's table, it gives us, and we must have a renewed sense of God's goodness, God's love towards sinners. Because every time we are reminded again of how short we come, of how we are unable, and yet God has made the way 
in Christ. But then more than that, there was a specific time when they returned. In verse 1 it says, They slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the first month. This was the month of redemption. This is the month that they had set in Exodus 12 after God delivered them, and it became the first month of their calendar. And they were never to forget this. They were never to forget how God and when God had delivered them. And yet it happened here in the history written in the Chronicles. They did forget it. They did neglect these feasts. They did forget God's great works. And they saw no value in it anymore. You can think of the Israelites. They did exactly what God had warned them not to do. He said, when you come into the land and you're filled with all the goodness, do not forget the God who brought you here. But that's exactly what they did. They lived in all abundance. And they went and served idols and forgot the God who had given them the land. And they forgot that they had been slaves. And they forgot they needed God's grace even to continue there. Today is the Lord's day. The first day of the week set aside that we can look back on Christ's victory over death as He rose from the grave on the first day of the week. At the same time, we can look forward to that eternal inheritance, that eternal rest that awaits the people of God. Every Lord's Day, we are to remember this. It's a feast day. And in a sense, believers today are like Israel that we have received of that promise. But in another sense, we have not fully entered into that promise while in this life until you enter it in eternity. But every Lord's Day we are called to remember so that we do not forget the Lord's grace in delivering us, in bringing us out from slavery. But Israel had neglected this Passover, this specific feast that they were to remember once a year because they saw no need for God's mercy. They saw no need for God's grace anymore. And if we lose sight of God, of who God is, in His holiness, in His power, in His grace, and in His mercy, then the Lord's Day and the Lord's Supper lose their significance. And then our focus turns to the idols in this world. Instead of committing ourselves to the worship of the Lord. But even so, every judgment that we see in this world and every mercy of God that we see through it is a call to remember God and to draw us to Himself again every day. And every sin in our hearts, every idol we see in our life should be a reminder that we need God's grace that we need God's mercy continually. And so a fresh reminder of what God has delivered us from causes a great returning to the feast of the Lord's Supper, to remember what the Lord has done. And then we will also diligently observe this feast at the set times that the Lord gives us until He comes. But we can see a little of how Josiah returned to the feast. I mentioned earlier that he came. There was also a sense of, of gratitude. There was a motivation 
to serve God. But in verse 2, there is a great return to the proper use of the ordained offices. He tried to follow the way that God had set out in his word. There's a returning to the service of God as he prescribes it in his word. In verse 2, it says he set the priests in their duties, and he encouraged them for the service of the Lord in the house of the Lord, to do the will of God and to work faithfully in the office to which God had called them. God has given the officers of his church to serve his people. He gives them to enable us, you, to worship him, to remember him, to serve him. And this is what Josiah went back to. And in verse 3, there's return to God's service and the means of his grace. He said to the Levites who taught all Israel, who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. The, ta- the temple. He said that he, his focus is again on the ark of the covenant, on the mercy seat that is on the, uh, on the ark. The focus goes back to Christ. He told the Levites to use the means of grace that God had given them. They were the ones who had to instruct the people in it of what it was there for and how to use it. They had to teach them about God. And that ark in the temple taught them about the inapproachable holiness of this God whom they served. That no one can come to God in their own terms, but it also showed the only way of access through Jesus Christ, through that mercy seat that, that covered the demands of the law. And those two need to be held together very tightly and very closely. That God is so holy that no sinner can approach Him but that Christ has done what no one else can, and He is the only way, the only access by which we can and must come. And this had been missing in Israel. We don't know where it went. It doesn't say if it was taken away by the kings who who closed the temple or if it was hidden from kings who might destroy it. But in any case, it was brought back. It was set into its place again. And now it's been returned. And it represented the presence of their God. It was the visible representation that God came to dwell in the midst of His people. And it represented that one way that He had made for His people to draw near to Him. The only way to worship Him. And it shows us Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so Josiah commands them, Now serve the Lord your God and His people. In the end of verse 3, serve the Lord and His people. They were to serve the people using the means that God had given, the means of grace, the word, and the sacraments so that they could worship God. And that as a church is what we're required to do to provide for the public means of worship and the special means of the sacraments so that you can come and serve and worship the Lord. And in verse 4, we see a great return to the obedience of God's Word. 
Because he said, prepare yourselves according to your father's houses. And later in that verse it says, following the written instruction of David, king of Israel. But beginning with themselves. And also in verse 6 it says, consecrate yourselves and prepare for your brethren that they may do according to the word of the Lord. And so the Levites were called to prepare themselves for worship. And they were called to slaughter and prepare the offerings for the people so that they could obey and follow God's commands to keep the feast. And in verse 5 he says, Then stand in the holy place according to your divisions in the temple to serve God. They'd all been given different tasks according to David. And they all had a certain place to stand and to serve. And so it is also the office bearers in Christ's church are commanded to prepare ourselves in order, both outwardly and inwardly, that we might serve God and serve you, His people, to prepare for the worship of God so that you can worship God according to His Word. And so the great returning is always according to God's word, according as he instructs us to worship him. And today we again may have the privilege to prepare this feast of the Lord's Supper, to stand and to serve you with the visible reminder of the access that God has given in Jesus Christ. This must never be withheld. Is there then also this returning in our hearts, this desire in our hearts that you can again remember and receive the benefits from the hand of God in Christ and for your soul. But then secondly, this Passover is also characterized by a great rejoicing. Because worshiping God is a feast. And feasts were a special means to worship God. As in the Old Testament, they had a number of feasts, not only to remember, but it's also a time of enjoyment. But when they had neglected the Passover, they also no longer had that enjoyment, rejoicing in the Lord. And they began to seek after other things for that enjoyment and delight. And if the Lord's Supper or His worship becomes just an empty ceremony, then then there's no joy of heart, no delight in the blessings that the Lord gives. But then it becomes a burden and a mere formality. And then idol worship becomes more attractive. And then you go look for something more gratifying to replace what God has given in a simple means of worship to find entertainment then the highlight of the Lord's day is no longer the worship of His name. But then as soon as the hour is over, you go looking for other things to fill your heart and mind with pleasure on the Lord's day. Worship is then set aside. Even after the partaking of the Lord's Supper, some can do that. They set aside what the Lord has given to be the ultimate joy, and they look for something else. But true religion is a feast. A great rejoicing in the God of heaven. 
And that rejoicing leads us to find a joy in, in Christ and to delight in Him through the means of His grace. And we see how they rejoiced in verse 7. They expressed it by free will offerings. Josiah gave up his own possessions for the feast. It's a thanksgiving to God. For what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? Really, what is there that we can give to the Lord for what he has given to us, for all his mercy? It's not a sacrifice. It's not a duty, but it's gratitude. It's a free will offering to the Lord and to his church. <clears throat> and so the collections here are also part of the worship service. It's a rejoicing, a way of giving unto the Lord, giving back to his service, sharing in the blessings that he has given. In verse 8, the leaders also willingly gave to the people and to the priests. And the chief of the Levites gave for the Passover, offering from their own flocks. And so there was a joyful giving. And there was also rejoicing in the preparations in verse 10. The services and the sacrifices were all prepared according to the books of Moses. And when we prepare for a feast, for example, tomorrow, Thanksgiving Day, then even the preparations are a joy and a delight. Because you take delight in preparing it perfectly. You want it just so for, for the feast to present and for the guests because, because of who you're going to share it with. So there's a delight in the preparations. And so here there was a readiness to do what they heard from God's Word. There was a diligence and a joy in preparing for this feast. And there was a rejoicing, especially because these sacrifices all pointed to the source of their joy. It pointed to their source of their peace because it showed how their guilt would be transferred to another. It showed how the lambs were slaughtered as substitutes, as Christ would take the place of his people. It spoke of mercy for condemned sinners. But here you can rejoice when you see the symbols of bread and wine, knowing that they rep represent Christ's sacrifice, and that it is, they speak of your peace, and they remind you of Christ, the Passover who took your guilt, who took your place. And so there is a rejoicing in verse 13 in fellowship with each other. They roasted the Passover lamb and divided it quickly among all the people. The meat was eaten with the families as they remembered how they were delivered from Egypt, from slavery. At various other feasts, it was only the elders, at, like at Mount Sinai, only the elders sat down to share in the meal in the presence of God. And in various ways, these feasts were held in the Old Testament, and now in the New Testament, it's specifically for those who are able to examine themselves according to their spiritual knowledge of deliverance in Christ. Here we remember that Christ took our place, and that He delivered us from our sin. 
And then after these people had been served, they also prepared for themselves and they prepared for the priests. So there's a sharing in the blessing in the benefits portrayed in the sacrifice. We all share of that one bread in Christ. They all ate of those sacrifices together. And so there's a precious fellowship not only with God, but, but with one another as believers, as we share that broken bread and poured out wine, the symbols of Christ's body. And so there's a fellowship, Israel. It was the nation of Israel and those who joined. But now the New Testament, it is with the church around the world of every tribe, of every nation, of every language. One body in Christ. One sacrifice is sufficient for all. One sharing in the fellowship of one Savior. And in verse 14, there's a further sharing, rejoicing and a sharing with each other. Or sorry, by serving each other. Because the priests were busy in their duty. They were offering the burnt offerings. The singers were standing there singing. And they were busy. The gatekeepers were standing at the gate. Bringing in the people. Receiving the gifts. And and so they had no time to eat or to prepare for themselves. So it says the Levites prepared the meals for them. Helping each other to, to celebrate the feast. And now the body of Christ, the church, is the body serving one another, not just here in church in the various ways and means, not just at the Lord's Supper, but every day, from the smallest task to the greatest. But the Lord's Supper is still a place of special fellowship and special service with one another, where we share in the worship, where we're fed by Christ spiritually, where his, He comes with His Spirit to bring it to her heart, to seal those promises to the heart that you are His and, and He is yours. Here we share in that unity of the body, one faith, one Lord, and you eat one bread. And so they rejoice by keeping this feast for seven days. In verse 17, and there was no feast like it since the days of Samuel is every Lord's Supper a feast of rejoicing for you? Is it a feast like never before that every time you you come with renewed repentance and faith to the feet of Jesus to receive something more from Him? That every time you seek that strengthening by His Word and Spirit? Because the more we see of Him, the more precious He becomes. But then thirdly, the great feast was characterized by a great remembrance. The Passover lamb was slaughtered in verse 6. And when they slaughtered that innocent lamb, they were reminded that the lamb was to die instead of them. And when they were in Egypt, they had to take that blood and they had to smear it on the doorposts. So that when God's judgment came at night, that last plague that would slay all the firstborn, and then God's angel of death would pass over. God's angel of judgment would pass over these houses covered with blood. They were then delivered from slavery by the power of God and by the judgment of God upon the enemy. And the only reason they were spared 
was because they were behind that blood. Now Josiah's repentance and the nation's reform delayed the judgment of God. It said that he would not see it in his lifetime. It spared him from facing it in his lifetime, but that judgment was not removed. It was not removed from the nation altogether. It was postponed, but not removed. And today, if there is anyone who does not know Christ, God is patient with the wicked, and he calls, Turn ye, turn ye, for why would you die, O house of Israel? Judgment is being postponed, even for the wicked. But it will come. It is coming. And there's only one way of escape through Jesus Christ, that way of mercy that God opened up by slaying his own son on the cross. And so this Passover lamb then pointed to what the Lord Jesus Christ would do. That he was that one sacrifice for sin. As Paul says, Christ is our Passover lamb who would take the place of sinners. But in Christ, that judgment of God was not only postponed, but it was removed. That all now who are covered under the blood of Christ are delivered once and for all from that judgment. God will deliver His people once and for all from all evil by sending His great judgment upon the wicked who do not flee to Christ by destroying the wicked He delivers His people. He crushed, as he crushed Egypt, he set Israel free, but God in Christ crushed Satan, the great enemy, and delivers his people from his power. And the Lord's Supper is that great feast to remember what Christ has done in destroying death and the devil and delivering you from it. He is that one sufficient sacrifice for all your sin. He is the one who removed that curse and took that punishment himself. He removed that judgment of God when he on the cross bore it in his own body for all who he has chosen, for all who he says will hide under that blood of Christ. And then God's judgment can no longer come behind that blood. Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is what he is reminding you of and assuring you of, that in Christ there is peace, there is reconciliation, there is life everlasting, that judgment is not only postponed but removed forever. And it is here that he comes to bring that to your heart again, to comfort you of that truth, and to show you that in him is life. But here we come to remember the great cost of that deliverance, that the Lord Jesus Christ was slain instead of you. Here we remember our own sins as we were taught this week, that rather than it being left unpunished, God had to punish it in Christ. And here we remember that in Christ, you find a complete and full forgiveness where your sins will never be remembered again, where there is open access to God the Father, 
And there is remembrance in sharing this meal. The people ate to remember in verse 7 how they were spared and delivered. We eat the bread and drink the wine to remember Christ's death and partake of that sacrifice. Partake in what Christ has done because it's not only enough to remember, to see, but we must partake. Partake in His sufferings and His sacrifice by faith that as we eat that bread and drink that wine, we acknowledge that it is His atoning sacrifice alone by which we are saved. And by these symbols, Christ reminds us what that means for His people, that here we again may rest fully in His work, that all those who trust in Him will never be put to shame, Though we come with trembling hearts and trembling hands, but the Lord comes with His immovable grace and spirit to say, as Christ did, it is finished in Him. Here the Holy Spirit seals those promises to your heart that you cling to in His Word. Here you sit in the presence of God where he is determined to strengthen the hearts and the faith of his people. Remember and believe that we share in his life. As the Lord Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood spiritually has eternal life. Is it your desire and your delight today to come to the greatest feast that the Lord has ever prepared in this earth, that he himself sets before you even today again and says, do this in remembrance of me. Because as often as we eat and drink this bread and wine, we do so, we remember Christ's death until he comes, until he comes again to take you to himself. There's no feast like it. So he says, delight yourself in the Lord. Amen.